as your children are being dismissed to junior church, I'm going to ask you to open to the book of Colossians chapter 2, where we left off reading last week. If you have a Bible, I ask you to open there, please, and stand with me. I have this one turned on, so am I pulpit? Okay, I'm good. All right. Rewind, start over. We're going to open to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 10, where we left off last Sunday when we were together. So I'll ask you please to stand and open to the book of Colossians. And Like I said, we will start reading chapter 2, verse 10, and we will read chap- through chapter 3 and verse 17. So starting please in Colossians 2, 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind, and not holding the head from which all the body of joints and and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, such as taste not, uh, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men? which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sings sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and ye have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, 
so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And verse 17, whatsoever ye do, then, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's pray, then I'll ask you to be seated. Our great Father in heaven, we remain so thankful to you this morning for your word. We ask for your guidance today as we are not able to have understanding of the scriptures without your assistance, without your spirit. May your word go mightily into all the world this day as your message of the gospel is preached and retold to women, men, and children around the world. Please grant unto us gathered here today a measure of faith. And may we increase that faith by trusting today in your word. May Jesus Christ, your son, be magnified here today. Amen. Please be seated. When we were together last Sunday, we, review, we, we took a look at Colossians chapter 1 and 2, so I will spend a few moments reviewing our talk last week. The church at Colossae was, many most believe, established through the pe- preaching of Epaphras, one of the Apostle Paul's friends and co-workers. The Apostle then wrote this letter to the Colossians, probably around the year 62 AD, to address doctrinal problems that were prevalent in the area at the time. And so to help us paint a big picture of this epistle, I pointed out that chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians are to be considered doctrinal instruction. Chapters 3 and 4 are more practical exhortations. Chapters 1 and 2 speak of the supremacy of Christ. Chapters 3 and 4 express our need to be submitted to Christ or submission to Christ. Chapters 1 and 2, the first half of this epistle, speak of what Christ did for us. Chapters 3 and 4 lead us to understand more what Christ does through us, through us. So last Sunday, we spent time in two passages. First, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, we considered the kind of church we should be, a body of believers should be, and that is this church should be living lives that are worthy of the Lord. That is, lives that are bringing his word to bear upon our daily lives. Do we do that as a body of believers? Lives that are strengthened by his might. And we end up then in, ch- in chapter 1, verse 12, joyfully giving thanks to the Father for lives that have learned patience and long-suffering. We don't live like those around us. We learn to thank God for our lives, which include patience and long-suffering. Secondly, we spent time hearing the words of the apostle teach us of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. First, that Christ is preeminent in his person. Secondly, that Jesus Christ is preeminent in his power. And thirdly, that Jesus Christ is preeminent in his position. Alexander McLaren said, In Christ, as a great storehouse, lie all the riches of spiritual wisdom, the massive ingots, I'm like you, Josh, I'm having trouble with a big word today, the massive ingots of solid gold, which when coined into creeds and doctrines, are the wealth of the church. All which we can know concerning God and man, concerning sin and righteousness and duty, concerning another life, is in him 
who is the home and deep mine where truth is stored. The central fact of the universe and the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth is in Christ, the incarnate word, the lamb slain, the ascended king. We then concluded that being the kind of church we should be where its members are living lives that are worthy of him is possible because of the power provided through our amazing and preeminent Savior, Jesus Christ. Realizations were this thinking then will affect our prayer lives. We praise God for our uh, deliverance from the power of darkness and for giving us redemption through the blood of his son. Further, this behavior influences our daily lives as we consider our relationship with scripture, our plans for our lives, and that our circumstances are all subservient to Jesus Christ being preeminent in our lives. And finally, this impacts our personal lives as we seek to establish goals for a life where Jesus Christ is my leading influence. Today, I should like to consider once again just a section of the, apostle, of the epistle of Colossians. My plan today is to consider what impact being risen with Christ has on the body of Christ. We shall talk about putting on the new man, putting on charity, and letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. What line of thinking does the Apostle Paul suggest we embrace in order to be what our Father would have us to be? Using verse 10 of chapter 2 as a fulcrum from where we ended last Sunday morning to our cogitations for today, I would like, by the way of introduction, to remind us that we are complete in Jesus Christ, if you would look again at verse 10. Albert Barnes said of this verse, having no need for the repurpose of salvation of any aid to be derived from the philosophy of the Greeks or the tradition of the Jews, all that is necessary to secure your salvation is to be found in the Lord Jesus. There is a completion or a filling up in him so as to leave nothing wanting. There is no necessity, therefore, that we should look to the aid of philosophy as if there was a defect in the teachings of the Savior, or to human strength, as if he were unable to save us. We are complete in our Savior. Today, you and I have Jesus Christ, the one who, who makes us complete. We sometimes sing the song, Complete in Thee, in which we hear these lyrics, No work of mine could take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. So, what makes us complete? Well, as we read earlier, Paul tells us Jesus Christ is the head of all principality and power. His preeminence in power was one of our points from last week. Paul then continues in verse 11 that believers are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Although the physical act of circumcision was a sign of Jewish identity within the Old Testament covenant, God continually expressed concern for something more important, and that is circumcision of the heart. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's what God really wanted from the Old Testament Hebrews. He wanted their hearts. Deuteronomy 10.12-17 through 17 said, and this is a long passage, but it's good, it says, Listen, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, 
to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is to this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The Apostle Paul himself in Romans chapter 2 wrote this, He is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Here in Colossians 2.11, Paul affirms that the Colossians already have received Christ's spiritual circumcision through their union with him in baptism. Therefore, they do not need the sign of physical circumcision to legitimize their identity as God's people. These people are God's people. We are God's people. We are God's functioning body. We are his church, and we are complete in him. Then in verse 12, if you would look at verse 12, Paul instructs the Colossians that through baptism, believers identify with Christ's crucifixion and burial, symbolizing death to sin, and that we are now also risen with Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said to the Christians at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, God hath quickened us together with Christ, and he hath raised us up together, and hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. More to come on that in a moment. Then to verse 13, Paul tells us that God has quickened us through Jesus Christ. Praise God this morning, you are quickened. If you have trusted Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, Paul says God has quickened you. That word means to be made alive or to be made to live. Listen to the words of Jesus from John chapter 5, verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. We have been quickened by Jesus Christ. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Praise God this morning that we have been granted eternal life when we, pray, when we placed our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us to live. He quickened us. He has granted us not only eternal life, but a life here that is totally encased in Jesus Christ himself. Now, advancing to chapter 3, where I'd like to spend the rest of our time, we read this challenge in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. We are told first to seek things that are above. We are then told to set our affection on things that are above. Now, since today is October 1st, it is the official end of Major League Baseball regular season. I thought a baseball illustration would be appropriate. I'm a fan of baseball and of the Pittsburgh Pirates in particular. Too many P's in that sentence I didn't plan. Pittsburgh Pirates in particular. And since um, um, I, I think I mentioned this to a couple of uh, fellow baseball fans last Sunday, but in 
the game a week ago Saturday, the Pittsburgh Pirates were playing the Cincinnati Reds, and they fell behind, as they are prone to do, by a score of 9-0. to zero. 9-0. to zero. Now, at that point, that marked the 820th time in the 137-year history of the Pittsburgh Pirates that they had trailed their opponents by nine runs. Beginning in the sixth inning of that game, Pirates rattled off 13 unanswered runs, then hung on for dear life until the final out of their 13-12 win, marking an historical 1-819 record in come-from-behind games when trailing by nine runs. First time it's ever happened to the Pirates in 137 years. The Pirates won the game. I was pretty pleased. And in case you're wondering, no, the Pirates did not make the playoffs this year. Those will start later this week. The Pirates won't be there. So my question to you then is this. Does this challenge from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.1 mean that we should never have an affection for baseball? Does this mean we should not watch football, lacrosse, soccer, pickleball, whatever is our favorite? Could this mean we show little care for our homes, our vocations, our vehicles, our clothing, our education, or our love of history? I think not. I believe this challenge addresses a much larger focus and a much more fundament, at a much more fundamental level for Christians. This speaks of our motivation for living. What are we living for today? Paul's admonition is this. If you're risen, risen with Christ, as he has argued you are, then that will lead you to think of things above, to set an affection for things above. Paul begins with exhorting them to set their hearts on heaven and take them off of this world. I once heard Pastor Largent give an illustration that he said he had heard the best definition he had ever heard of the word worldliness. How do you describe worldliness? And Pastor said this. He had heard it somewhere else. Worldliness is living our lives like this world really matters. That's a pretty good definition. Living your life like this world really matters because in the end, yeah, baseball's enjoyable while it's here. It won't be any in heaven. This is not a heavenly thing. While football is fun to follow, yeah, won't be any of that in heaven. But we are to concentrate, to think about what will be heavenly things on which we can set our affections. Matthew Henry said of this uh, passage, Colossians 1 through, uh, 3, 1 through 3, it is our privilege that we have risen with Christ, that is, we have benefited by the resurrection of Christ and by virtue of our union and communion with him, are justified and sanctified and shall be glorified. Hence he infers that we must seek those things which are above. We must mind the concerns of another world more than the concerns of this. And the reason is because Christ sits at the right hand of God. He who is our best friend and our head is advanced to the highest dignity and honor in heaven and has gone before to secure to us the heavenly happiness Therefore, we must live such a life as Christ lived here on earth and lives now in heaven according to our capacities. Set your affection on things above. Paul gives us some help here to understand what he means and to frame our context of this thinking. Set your affection on things above. First, if you would look at verse 4. Paul indicates that this Christ who has now ascended to the Father will one day physically again be with us. Paul uses the phrase, 
Who is your life? I think the first way to begin to understand this way of thinking is to ask yourself this. To what degree is my life consumed by Jesus Christ? To what degree is my life consumed by Jesus Christ? How often do I think of him? How much sway does his word have over me? How much do I care for what he says? Is Jesus Christ your life? Another way to compare your thinking to that of the lost world, if you would look at verse 5, is to see a list of lifestyle actions that Paul says that God has the obligation to punish in the lives of the disobedient. Here's the list. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These lusts of the human flesh, the various workings of the carnal appetites and fleshly impurities, which they indulged in their former course of life and which were so contrary to the Christian state and the heavenly hope. Paul tells the Colossians there is no place for a Christian to allow his or her thoughts to attend because Jesus Christ is to be my life. Jesus Christ is to be my affection. Set your affection on things above. Thirdly, we are to compare our thinking to that which comes naturally to our mind. We clearly see then in verse 8 and 9 a second list of issues for Christians to avoid as it takes our our minds completely away from Christ-like thinking. Let me say that again. We clearly see in verses 8 and 9 a second list for Christians to avoid as it takes our minds completely away from Christ-like thinking. Here's what we see. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy communication. And then straight up lying. One comment was written by a commentator who wrote this. Anger and wrath are bad. But malice is worse. because It is more rooted and deliberate. It is anger heightened and settled. And as the corrupt principles in the heart must cut off, so the product of them, so the product of them in the tongue, as blasphemy, which seems there to mean not only much speaking ill of God as speaking ill of men, giving ill language to them or raising ill reports of them, and injuring their good name by any evil arts. Filthy communication, that is all lewd and wanton discourse which comes from a polluted mind in the speaker and propagates the same defilements to the hearers. And then, of course, lying. Paul says, lie not one to another, for it is contrary both to the law of truth and the law of love. It is both unjust and unkind and naturally tends to destroy all faith and friendship among mankind. Here we have it. You want to set your affection on things above? You've got to set these aside first. And some of this is where we live, right? Some this, so much of this is ingrained into this guy's mind, into our hearts. This is our heartbeat some days. This is where we live. Paul said, lie not one to another. Avoid anger. How do we deal with wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication? These vices all relate to dysfunction among the community of believers. Believers must no longer participate in these actions. If you will recall from chapter 1, the church is to be living lives that are worthy of the great God who has saved them. Paul provides a much better way for believers to spend their lives. Here we go. 
seeking your mind to honor things that are eternal, where Christ rules. Set your affection on things above. Here's how you do it. You set aside those things that tend to be the product of the way the natural man thinks, and then you begin to think of heavenly things where Jesus Christ reigns. Let's think of things the way Christ thinks of them. Seek in your mind to honor things that are eternal. Set your overall affections on matters that induce you to love and care for those in your Christian community. That happens now, Paul says, when we go through this exercise he's about to introduce to us, and I'm calling it put on, put off. Put on, put off. Putting on and putting off. Anyone here have an exercise regimen? I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I'd, I would guess a lot of people in this room exercise. Hmm. Exercise. I call this putting off and putting on an exercise because this is activity that is not always easy to start. It often takes much more of your time than you had planned. And frankly, sometimes it may not show you results as quickly as you would like to have them. Nonetheless, the Apostle Paul tells us this is the way Christians think. It is disciplined. It is exercise. Would you look at verse 9? It tells us to put off. We put off the old man and his deeds. We have to think in such a way that says, this is the way I naturally think. This is the way a person without Christ thinks. This is what the Apostle Paul, he's given us two lists already of things to avoid, of ways to think that we must absolutely avoid if we're going to properly grow in our church community. Put off the old man. Put off the deeds of the flesh. Put off the way old men think. Then in verse 10, verse 12, and verse 14, we see this phrase, put on, put on. Old garments are thrown away. New garments are taken on. That's the thrust of verses 5 to 17. It is in a theme of putting on clothing. You are a new man. You throw away your old clothes and you put on the new clothes, identifying with that new man. You have been risen with Christ. Christian, you have been risen with Christ. Wear the clothing that identifies with him. I was recently reading about a custom in some regions of the Roman Empire that if you were found guilty of murder, the punishment was to strap the dead body of the victim to you. That was your punishment. It didn't take long for that dead body to have a very dramatic effect on you. It would decay you, rot, and kill you. And that was one way in which murderers were punished. And perhaps the Apostle Paul had that in mind when he wrote this to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. He wrote similar language. Perhaps this is what he's saying if you are a new man, which is, which is the sense, what is the sense in carrying around an old dead body? If you're a new man, wear the new man's garments. Why carry around something that is old? That will corrupt you. How much better to clothe yourself on the outside in a lifestyle with the new man that you are in reality. So, quickly, what are we to wear? What is someone who has risen in Christ put on? Colossians 3.10 says to put on the new man. This new man is one whose thinking is to be renewed in knowledge. Someone has said, this is the daily renovation of a person in an increase of spiritual, experimental, and saving knowledge of God and Christ and of divine things. In Ephesians 4.24, it is said that the new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. Number two, put on bowels of mercy. 
Um, and that is in, I didn't write this down, verse um, 12, right? Bowels of mercy. The ancient world understood the bowels of the human to house the seed of emotion. We certainly today would say have a heart of mercy, right? This indicates a sympathizing spirit with saints in distress, weeping with them that weep, suffering with them that suffer. It denotes possession of inward pity and compassion. Such a spirit is a very beautiful one. Number three, to put on kindness. Someone has said kindness is the virtue of a man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. That's a kind person. Number four, put on humbleness of mind or humility. This is a Christian looking unto themselves as the chief of sinners. Less than the least of all saints, as inferior to others in um, knowledge, experience, gifts, and graces. In esteeming others better than themselves. In 1 Peter 5, the Apostle Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Humbleness. Number five, he says, to put on meekness. This is the idea that shows itself in ensuring the usefulness and happiness of other Christians and rejoicing with them. In quietly submitting to the will of God in all adverse dispensations of providence and patiently bearing what God is pleased to lay on us. Meekness. Number six, he tells us to put on long-suffering. These are Christians patiently bearing the evil words and actions of others, putting up with injuries, sitting down contented with ill usage from others. Number seven, he tells us to put on forbearance, forbearing one another, not only bearing one another's burdens with another's weakness, but forbearing to render evil for evil or railing for railing or to seek revenge for affronts given in whatsoever way, whether by words or by deeds. Number eight, Paul the Apostle tells us to put on forgiveness. All trespasses and offenses so far as committed against themselves and praying to God to forgive them as committed against him. And then finally in verse 14 we read, put on charity. Put on charity. You're taking off the old garments. You're putting on the new one. Here it is. Above all, put on charity. Brotherly love. For without this, all is nothing. John Gill said of this verse, these others will only be done in show and appearance, in mere guise and hypocrisy, if love is missing. This actuates and exercises all the rest. It is only from this principle that true sympathy, real kindness, undisguised humility and meekness, Patient long-suffering and forbearance and hearty forgiveness proceed. This is greater and more excellent than all the other and adds a glory, a luster, and a beauty to them. This is the upper garment that covers all the rest. Put on charity. Now, now that you've, we've looked at this list, aren't you glad it all sounds so easy? Aren't you glad this morning this list of instruction contains activity is so very easy for Christians to accomplish? One last look, if you would, please, at verse 10. It says this, that we are created, I'm sorry, that we are after the image of him that created him. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 24 of that epistle, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You want to have a heart of love to put on charity, to put on forgiveness, to put on meekness, to put on kindness. This is a supernatural thing. None of this is possible in our own flesh. 
We are utterly dependent on the Spirit of God and on the righteousness that comes from His way of thinking, not from ours. This does not come through our own strength. It requires spiritual discipline, exercise, if you will. So, in clothing, in closing, clothing is what you put off or put on, right? Now, in closing, I'm going to read from, um, I'll just read one, a website I found. This is from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's website. This is what they say. Regular physical exercise is one of the most important things you can do for your health. Being physically active can improve your brain health, help manage weight, reduce the risk of disease, strengthen bones and muscles, and improve your ability to do everyday activities. Only a few lifestyle choices have as large an impact on your health as physical activity. Everyone can experience the health benefits of physical activity. Ages, abilities, ethnicity, shape, or size do not matter. I have a similar read from Mayo Clinic. I have a few others that I was going to read for the sake of time. Let me just say this. Perhaps Christians today need a reminder there are also spiritual disciplines. There is exercise to be completed in your life that will be beneficial not only to your personal life, but to the church body and to the world around you. This is the way mature Christians think. Put off the old man and put on the new. Put off the old man and put on the new. It's an exercise. It's a discipline. And just as last week, I have a few observations. My outline, if you have paid attention, my outline for the conclusion is the exact same as it was last week. So I'd like to first say this. This type of thinking affects our prayer lives. This affects your prayer life. Imagine praying this. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us life in Jesus Christ. Help us, please, to live lives worthy of Him by your grace. My Father, I need to reject the way of thinking of the unbelievers. Please instill in my mind the importance of exercising your word in my life. How often should we be praying, Our Father who art in heaven, please grant our request for aid in putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Help us, Father, as we live to praise and glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. Number two, I'd like to say this type of thinking influences our daily lives. Our daily lives. Uh, last week I gave you an illustration of a message that was not clear. It was not delivered clearly, I should say. Today I'm going to tell you of a message that was not sent. This morning, if you hadn't noticed, I got a haircut. And we have a deal at our home, and that is my wife will give me a haircut for free if I promise to vacuum the hair when she's done. So that's our agreement. That's what we did this morning. And when I finished the haircut, I put away the stool on which I was sitting. I got out the vacuum cleaner, and I noticed there were basically three areas on the floor where there was lots of hair. There was a spot here, there was a spot here, and there was another spot over by the door. And I grabbed the vacuum and I began vacuuming, and as I was vacuuming, I thought to myself, Rhonda's going to be walking through here again very soon. And so what I need to do is to make the, the place she's going to walk clean that first. Good thinking, don't you think? It makes, makes a lot of sense. So I vacuumed what was area one, and I vacuumed area two, and it was perfect, a perfect place for her to walk. 
And just as I finished what I am calling area two, Rhonda comes walking by and she had her arms full and she noticed that I was still vacuuming. And so Rhonda tried to step around me and guess exactly where she stepped. Yeah. You know what the problem was? I had a great plan. I just forgot to tell her about it, right? This is a message that was unsent and I thought to myself this thought, this would have been so much better if I had told her my plan. This was a message not delivered. So what message do you and I need to deliver today to a friend? What message do you and I need to deliver to another Christian? This type of behavior influences our daily lives. Can I find someone today in need of a little love? Think you could do that? Will my entertainment schedule be impacted at all by the spiritual exercises of putting off the new man and putting, on, uh, putting off the old man and putting on the new? How will this exercise of putting off anger and putting on forgiveness change me? You know any angry Christians? Here's Paul's advice to them from Colossians chapter 3. Put off the anger and put on forgiveness and he takes care of the rest because we are complete in him. This behavior influences our daily lives. How exactly will I spend my worship time what impact does spiritual exercise have in my relationship to the Word of God? And thirdly, not only does this uh, thinking influence our prayer lives and influence our daily lives, it influences our personal lives. Are kindness, humility, and meekness qualities that I aspire to for my life? Will my children and grandchildren observe in me the importance of kindness and mercy? Or is it just simply something to be said in a song? Am I truly living a life worthy of the great God who has saved me? Now we could spend more time, of course, looking at the remaining challenges Paul has for the church at Colossae. In verse, verse 15, you're all familiar with this passage. He says to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We're also told in verse 16 to let Christ dwell in us. Letting all that we do be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That then produces all the biblical relationships admonished by Paul in the remainder of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4 of Colossians. We won't read any of that this morning, but let me say it certainly is established here. It begins here. Thinking the way that God has ordained for us to think. We are to live lives worthy of our Lord, bringing His word to bear upon our daily living, praising his dear son, Jesus Christ, and embracing this mentality. Many thoughts will enter our minds. We are re to reject those that take our affections away from heavenly things and Christ, and we are to renew our minds with biblical thinking. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, we seek to magnify you today in the duration of our worship service. May we please also desire to please you by honoring your word in our prayer lives, in our personal lives, and in our daily lives. Thank you for your grace, your love, your great care for us, your people.